Then for me last week, so I could go to Ohio and study. I'm still working on schoolwork for pastor stuff. But it was also like, honestly, it was a little bit of a spiritual retreat for me. Four or five days away with other pastors, Bible, plenty of time with Jesus. But she kept the lights on for me. I'm thankful. <laughs> no, Leanne does a great job. I'm glad she was able to help us out that way. So that means that if you weren't here two weeks ago, you have no idea about the first half of this lesson. But we're working on a summer series called Lessons from the Patriarchs. And so two weeks ago, we did Abraham part one. Because Abraham is like, I don't know, a third of Genesis. And so if I sat there and I preached his whole story, we might still be talking about Abraham around Christmas time. But we're not doing that. We're kind of doing the rock and roll fast version or at least two main events in Abraham's life. The first one being a couple weeks ago when God says, hey, I know you're 80-something, but we're going to give you a kid. In fact, we're going to give you so many kids, they're like the stars. Can you imagine getting that message at 86? Hey, I'm going to have descendants like the stars. I don't have the first one yet. Can you imagine 2 a.m. feedings when you're 87 to 90? Well, Abraham didn't even have the first one until he was 100. 100. Don't worry, honey, I got it. I'll take care of it. I mean, I can't have a kid. Had we, my wife and I were foster parents in Florida for five years, all under the age of two. Ten babies under the age of two over a five-year period. I was a professional diaper changer. I was excellent at it. I was also sleep, eh, whenever it happens, right? And, I was, and I'm older, I cannot imagine experiencing that at 100. That just doesn't seem, Matt, that does, that does not compute. Well, that's Abraham, and he, but he had to wait. He was promised this by God, and probably in his mid-80s, the initial promise is made. So some 15 years later, God gets around to fulfilling the promise. And in those days, having an heir was a part of God's, as a sign of God's blessing on your life. Having kids was a sign of your, a blessing on your life. It was part of how you maintain the family wealth because Junior got to work the farm and the cattle too. That was part of how that worked. And here's Abraham with no heirs, with great wealth in those days, for, by those days' standards, but nobody to inherit it. A deep longing. They were barren. The scriptures tell us they couldn't have kids. And so they're longing for a family, longing for a family until they're 100. And then Isaac and Ishmael show up. They have them. In fact, in fact, what we talked about two weeks ago is that Abraham got so impatient, he took matters into his own hands, and they had Ishmael. And then later, Isaac finally comes along the fulfillment of the promise, the way it talks about. So if you can imagine for all the anguish of waiting and all the trials that go into that when you're 100, and then finally he arrives, the joy he would have felt, and then we pick up his story a little later in Genesis chapter 22. After these things, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, go to the, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on the mountains that I will show you. Now, let's let those first two verses sit for a minute. 86, first, he gets promised children. Around 100, he gets a couple of kids. 
In particular, this one from his wife, Sarah, Isaac, who's special. He's the child of the promise. And a little while later, God says, I know that I know you've waited till you were 100. Take him up on the mountain and sacrifice him. Can you imagine, if you're a parent, what would that do inside of your heart and inside of your soul to respond to God that way? Wait, I've waited till 100. Now you want me to do what? You want me to give up the one that I've been waiting for my entire life? The one that Sarah, the promise that you made? In fact, in some level, it feels like God's pretty much contradicting his promise, right? Hey, I promised you lots of descendants. You've got one. Now we're going to take it away. Seems a little strange. Can you imagine what Abraham's spirit must have been about that? Except what we get from Scripture is when God calls, his, calls it out and says, Abraham, Abraham says, here I am. Take your son Isaac up the mountain and sacrifice him there. And that sounds harsh. That sounds barbaric to us. That sounds brutal. Why would our God, I mean, we know the Old Testament weird gods do that kind of stuff, but why would the God of the Bible command somebody to take the life of their own kid? The reality is, and it's right there in verse 1, God decided to test Abraham. God is testing Abraham. For all the reasons that I said, he's waited. He was promised. The promise wasn't fulfilled immediately. It's like, hey, I promise you this is going to happen. Cool. 15 years later. Okay, about time to get around to this, God. Remember the promise you made 15 years ago? Now it's fulfilled. Woohoo! Celebration! Wait, you want me to do what? And so God is testing Abraham because imagine how precious and how much Abraham loves Isaac. The one who was promised after 15 years, the one who's promised when you're 100, imagine the love that Abraham has in particular for Isaac. And the scriptures tell us that God is testing Abraham. Now, this is hard for us. We're talking about this series, we're calling it Lessons from the Patriarchs, because they had these experiences, and there is something we can learn from their experiences about our relationship with God now, either about God, or about us, or about our relationship with Him. Those are things that we can pick up from some of these stories. And so God, the first thing is, God does test us sometimes. You may be thinking, wait a minute, I thought the Bible says he doesn't do that. The Bible, in James 1, he says, don't say that God tempts you. God does not go, here's some sin, come fall into it. That's not what I'm talking about. But from time to time, particularly around things that we love the most, God wants to see if we love that or him. Think about the different stories in Scripture. Job. Y'all know the story of Job? Bill Gates of his day, lots of wealth, big family, lots of buildings, all this stuff taken away from him in an instant. Now, who instigated the challenge in that case? The scriptures tell us it was the enemy, Satan, right? And God, but God permitted it. So go ahead. You can do anything but kill him. The enemy takes away everything. His friends look at Job and go, curse God and die, dudes. You've done something wrong. How does Job respond to that test? I love God anyway. 
That's how he responds. God allowed those circumstances into Job's life to help test his faith. Especially around something we might be inclined to love too much. Things that we love too much, the Bible calls idols. The things that we love too much, God calls idolatry. Things that we love more than God is by definition an idol. We don't... We don't have little altars in our home with little carved things that we bow down and pray to. That was idolatry in the Old Testament, maybe, worshiping other gods. But we have things we love more than God. If I took your cell phones away walking in here, some of you would be like having a seizure, wondering where it is. Because you love it, used to it, addicted to it. (laughs) If you lost your television, if you lost your internet, how bad would you freak out? There are things that we love too much that we practically worship at the altar of with our life. Money. We love money. If I was paying you as you walked out, you'd come back the next Sunday, wouldn't you? Like, we love Monday. I mean, it's money. You'd be back Monday, too. Can I have some more? You know, we love stuff. And so there are times in our life where God either allows us to be tested or directly asks us to count the cost of following to see what we will do, to see if we love God the most or if we love, in Abraham's case, this promised son the most. So tension has been created. God has thrown down the gauntlet. He says, I know you waited for Isaac for over 100 years because Isaac's old enough now to help and walk along and do things, so Isaac's older. He says, I know you've waited a long time for Isaac. Take him up on the Mount Moriah and sacrifice him. Talk about a gut check. Let's pick the story back up in verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place in the distance that God had showed him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw a place far away. And then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there and we will worship. And then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, Father. He said, Here I am, my son. He said, The fire and the wood are here. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt off for a burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Now, if you can imagine how heavy Abraham's heart was when he got the message from God, the command to God, imagine that morning. Because apparently Abraham's following through. Verse 3, he got up the next morning and went where God told him to go. There's no debate, there's no argument. There's no, but God, wait, how does this work? Like, when are you going to do about this? You, you really want me? There's no, none of that's recorded in Scripture. It just says he get up the next morning and took a couple of servants and his son and went. Imagine walking. <laughs> if you ever, there's, there's times in my, a couple times in my life where I've had to have surgery for different reasons. One, I blew my knee out real bad and had to have that scoped and all that good stuff. There's always this moment in my life when I'm going through something like that, some medical procedure that I don't really want to go through. Maybe you can relate to that. And you're just like sitting there on the bed in the hospital, and you know somebody's coming in with a big needle sooner or later. There's a, 
and you're at the mercy of whatever they tell you to do. It's like, okay, put this on. Are you, really, is this even something? You know, like this is a whole experience when it comes to the hospital. And you're, you can feel the other shoe about to drop. And you're just going through the motions because you know what you're about to go through. Maybe it's just me. But there's this sense of dread in my heart. Even though I'll probably be okay and it's a procedure they've done a million times and all those reassurances, it's like, I don't want to go through this. I certainly don't, certainly don't want to go through what happens after. And I just like, I have this dread when I'm going through those circumstances. And that was surgery. Can you imagine Abraham in his heart deciding that he is going to obey God and he's going through the process of taking his son's life and there's this conversation. He's, have, he's got two servants with him. He said, y'all stay here. We're going to go worship. Then little white lie, then we will come back. And then it escalates because Isaac's smart. Isaac goes, there's wood and there's fire. What exactly are we sacrificing here? <laughs> I mean, maybe he's, I don't think he's savvy. To, I don't know that he's savvy to what's going to happen to him. But he, he has this moment. It's like, we forgot something. We need to go back. Like, where's the lamb? And what does Abraham say to Isaac? He doesn't say, you're it. He says, God will provide a lamb to be sacrificed. Not really lying. But Abraham knew what he was been told to do and what he was intending to do and what he had planned to do. Can you imagine the dread filling Abraham's heart? the entire length of that journey, how long it is. You're having these conversations with your help and with your son, and only you know what it is you're about to do and what that must have felt like, let alone the desire not to leave Isaac, lose Isaac whom he loves and the weight of that and what it'll be like after he's gone. That's all happening, and the story is just telling us, and Abraham went up the hill. But all that stuff is happening inside of Abraham as he's marching up the hill. He just goes in complete anguish as he walks. But let me read verse 8 again. This is really interesting because everybody talks about the Old Testament's when God was grumpy, then Jesus came, and now he's happy. Look at verse 8. Abraham said, God himself will provide a lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. What's really interesting is that verse in Genesis 22 is the gospel. Think of this whole story itself follows in the pattern of the gospel. Think about what's happening. Abraham's only son by his wife Sarah, is about to be sacrificed. Abraham's response is obedience. I'll sacrifice him. I'll give him up. But then in verse 8, when Abraham answers his question, he says, God will provide the lamb. Now, he's not talking about Jesus because he doesn't know who Jesus is. He's Abraham. But that verse beautifully states exactly what God does for us. He provides the lamb. He provides the sacrifice. God himself will provide the sacrifice for us. If we're taking lessons from Abraham's story, we know that he tests us, almost said tempted, we know that he tests us when it comes to what we love the most. 
But we also know that he will provide the sacrifice that we need. He will provide. In fact, the word provide, P-R-O-V-I-D-E, right? All I have to do is add an O to be pro-video. <laughs> when we say provide, that the essence, the idea of provide is to see to, take care of. I will see to this. It literally has the same root as sight. I will provide. I will see to your needs. So Abraham promises Isaac, even though he knows what he's about to do, God will provide. Because Abraham's faith is not in Isaac. His faith is in God. How, you have to ask ourselves, how could Abraham even be going through with this, right? How could he even think of going through this? Now, this is speculation here, but just out of that statement in verse 8, Abraham must be under the default assumption that one of two things is going to happen. God's going to change his mind, or God's going to resurrect Isaac, which he could do. Something doesn't add up. I just trust God. I don't see how we're going to get through this. I don't see what I'm going to be like after the fact. But God, I am trusting in the fact, I'm speaking for Abraham here, I am trusting in the fact God will provide a lamb for the burnt offering. Abraham has, if God is testing his faith so far, Abraham is passing the test. He's going up the hill. He's going through it. He's going through with it. And by the way, I said this story has a feel of the gospel story to it. Did you notice that, God, that Abraham placed the wood on Isaac's back? That's no small... The writer's not just like, oh, and this is how they got all the stuff there. That's no small detail. In my mind, my mind immediately goes to Jesus carrying his cross. Placed wood on his back. It's not direct, but there's a definitely strong hint there. And they're going up a hill for sacrifice. Do you see the pattern in the imagery here a little bit? You've got the only son carrying wood up a hill to be sacrificed, at least at this point in the story. That's how it's working. Now, the writer of Genesis didn't know how Jesus' story played out, but he's inspired by God, and God's giving us a huge hint. I'm doing what I've done before. There's a picture of the gospel in the story, and God promises through Abraham's words, God will provide a way out. You see, sometimes when God promises, we don't know how he's going to fulfill it. We just know that he will. Our faith is not in the thing he's given us. Our faith is in him. If he's given you money, he's given you capability, he's given you these things that you love, our faith is not placed there. It's our faith is placed in the one who provides those things. And we have to be willing on some level to hold the things that we love the most loosely. Anybody, know, anybody old enough to know who 38 Special is? Hold on loosely. I know the band knows. Hold on loosely. It's a cool song from back, way back in the day. But don't let go, I think, is the very next line, right? So we have these things that God has given us, but anything that he has given us, we are supposed to hold on to loosely. <laughs> there was some spiritual truth in the 38 Special song. But be willing to let go. Maybe don't let go, but certainly be willing to if God calls you to. That is the test that Abraham's going through, right? Hey, I know you waited 100 years, more than 100 years for this moment. He's your son and you love him, but you've got to hold on to him loosely if I decide to take him away. 
Abraham goes, Abraham trusts in the fact that if he's taking Isaac away, he's either going to provide him with another son or bring Isaac back or come up with some solution that we can't see or that he can't see. And that's the same thing with us. We know God's promised us something and he may be calling us to give something up and we have no idea why he would do that, no idea what he's going to do about it. We just have to trust that he will provide. Because we love him more than whatever it is. Because if we can't let go, now this is way too important, or I don't trust God to provide, then we hold on tightly instead of loosely. We hold on like never before because we don't want to give it up. And then it is an idol. The story continues, verse 9. When they came to the place that God had shown him, Abraham built an altar there, laid the wood in order. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to kill his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, (laughs) make sure you get his attention, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God. Since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. He offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide, as it is to said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Okay, so God throws down a test in verse 2. It says, I want you to sacrifice Isaac. And here, when we get to this part of the story, that test, Abraham passes. Can you picture this? He's raising the knife. If the angel's a little slow coming back from coffee break, we have a problem. Like, it is at the moment. Abraham is that committed to following through on what God's called him to do. And the the scripture, literally, mine has exclamation points. You can picture the angel going, whoa, 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 don't do this. (laughs) Like, direct intervention, get in the way, whatever you got to do. Don't, don't, don't kill him. I now know that you love me more than him. What was the test? God never was going to kill Isaac. What was the test? Is Abraham willing to give up Isaac? Does Abraham love and trust God enough that he would trust God to keep his promise even if he had to give up the fulfillment of that promise? Do we love God enough that if he calls us and tests us in some way that we're willing to give up what we love the most for him? That freaks us out as Christians because... If you follow that to its logical conclusion, you might be a missionary in a hut in a third world country somewhere, right? You may have to give up absolutely everything, and that freaks us out. Isaac would have been absolutely everything to Abraham. And he was willing all the way to the point of raising the knife and about to strike before God miraculously intervenes again and says, Whoa, now I know you're for real. We're good. (laughs) You don't have to do this anymore. Not only does he not have to kill Isaac. But conveniently, the scriptures tell us, there was a ram over here in the bush. Abraham looks up, 
sees a ram and sacrifices the ram instead. Now, I've told you all along that this story has some rhythms of gospel to it, right? Isaac was supposed to die. Isaac was meant to die. Isaac had been told to be killed. The ram died in his place. God literally did what Isaac, what Jake, Isaac Jacob, Abraham, what Abraham said he would do in verse 8. He promised Isaac, not knowing what God would do, that God will provide a lamb for the sacrifice. And that's exactly what God does in verse 12. The tension is resolved. Isaac is spared. The ram dies in his place. It's the gospel again, right? We were meant to die. But God provided the lamb in our place. There's a pattern here that we need to see. There's a pattern here that we need to see in our own spiritual walk as we work with God. God tests us, especially where our loves are the most. But he also provides us with a way through those tests. He didn't just test Abraham and say, good luck with this. And if you obey, I'll have to start over. We'll figure it out. God was at work in this whole story. See, the way that God tests us is what he actually does is he... How should I put this? He helps us count the cost. He doesn't tempt us to sin when he puts these tests in front of us. He reminds us what it costs to follow him and make sure we're still on board. I mentioned, Je- I mentioned Job, right? Cost Job everything. But Jesus has an encounter with a rich young ruler. And Jesus doesn't go... Well, Jesus actually gives him the same test, right? Give, oh, you've kept all my commandments or whatever, or give it to all of God's commandments, you have one more thing. Sell all that you have and come follow me. That story doesn't play out in the nice round way that Abraham does. What does the rich young ruler do? It says he walks away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus doesn't say you can't have money. He looked in the rich young ruler's heart and realized he lo- that was an idol for him and that he loved money more than God. And so Jesus says, if you give that up, you can follow me. That rich young ruler had the same test Abraham did. That rich young ruler could have sold everything and hung out with Jesus. But he chose, he failed the test. He chose to walk away because the cost, in this case literally, The cost of following Jesus was too high. Abraham could have failed the same way, right? Abraham could have said, no, God, I've waited 110 years for this moment. I cannot give up Isaac for you. And Abraham could have walked away from God at that moment. He could have. It's literally the same test. God's not trying to tempt us to sin, but he is giving us opportunities to demonstrate that we love him more than the stuff he's given us. To be sure that we don't have idols in our life. And honestly, that's the call of this story, is to search your heart and look for the idols. And idols can be good things. They can be money, career, relationship, you name it. Most most, most idols are probably good things because you love them a lot. But idols can be negative. I'll give you an example. I got to spend several, several days in Ohio, which meant I got to go to class all day. And then at 6 p.m. every evening, I had to figure out what I was going to eat and then do some schoolwork. 
But I was pretty much alone with my thoughts a lot for about five days. I mean, I had class interaction. That was good. But I had some time with God. I had some time away. I had some time dealing with something, some things. And one of the things that God showed me personally, and I'm just sharing this out here for you guys to hear it as an example, not because I'm super spiritual, just as an example of what we're talking about, is I, as a pastor, struggle with insecurity. Anybody relate to that? I mean, pastors, <laughs> some pastors gain their confidence or gain their security from their congregation size. Take a look around real quick. If I'm basing it on that, how secure am I right now? Let's just be real, right? I wish all these seats were filled, not because of my ego, but it, make, it does make me feel better when there's a crowd. Who wouldn't? Think about the things you measure success in your life with. If you're a student, it's grades or whatever. If you're in your career, it's accomplishment or the next promotion or whatever. And you feel secure because you have a good job and you got this promotion and it's awesome. And that's what your security is based on until they lay you off. And your security walks out the door with the promotion that got laid off. Where is your security? And here's the thing. We can make security an idol. We can make insecurity an idol. Here's how. If we wrap our whole world around preventing insecurity and do everything we can to not feel insecure and medicate it and avoid it and find ways to feel secure as a, as a like a, oh, I feel better because there were more people there that Sunday or I feel better because the sermon was good or I feel better because this program's growing or whatever. We find ways to keep our insecurity and then do something about it ourselves in our own power. And holding on to that negative thing can be an idol. And we think we're supposed to solve it. We think we're supposed to deal with it. We think we're supposed to address it in our own power. And all God is doing is going, here's an opportunity for you to let go of the thing you're holding on to the most and let me provide. My security doesn't come from the size of connection. My security doesn't come from my preaching ability. My security doesn't come from the size of my bank account. My security doesn't come from my relationship with a significant other. My security is found in Christ alone. And everything else that we cling to and are beholden to instead is an idol. And what Abraham can teach us if we read this story is that if we'll surrender the good stuff we hold on to too much and the bad stuff that's dominating our life too much, He will provide exactly what we need. But we have to trust Him even if we're not sure how He's going to provide. Even if our heart is full of dread like Abraham, like going, I'm going to have another kid at 110. Like, how, how, he's going to raise him from the dead? That would be weird. How am I going to trust God in this circumstance? But he did. Lord, I confess to you that my world is too bound up in being insecure. I'm an introvert. I'm awkward at parties because what are they going to think about me? Like, I have all these insecurity issues, right? Because I'm human. Pastors are not supermen. We have our own challenges. And what I realized was that insecurity had become an idol that I was trying to deal with myself. And so the conversation with God goes something like this. Here's my insecurity. You deal with it. I'm willing to hold on loosely. In this case, I'm willing to get rid of it. But <laughs> I'm willing to get rid of or give up what I love more than you because it's an idol. 
And I know that you will provide. Look at the last part of this story just to wrap this up. Last few verses says this. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven, and he said, by, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will indeed bless you. I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of heaven and as sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of their enemies. And your offspring shall be all... Shall through your, by your offspring, all the nations of the earth will gain blessing for themselves because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. So Abraham passes the test. It's not just, okay, bye. God reaffirms his promise to Abraham. Because you did not withhold your only son, I'm going to keep my promise to you. I am going to bless you. I'm going to bless you beyond measure. The nations of the earth will be blessed by you because you didn't even withhold your only son from me. I will bless you and you will have descendants like the stars because you didn't love things more than me. There's a lesson from Abraham, a guy who had to wait forever, a guy who cherished Isaac the most, a guy who could not possibly see how God would get him out of that situation, trusted him anyway. And God blessed him. We don't know how God's going to provide. But we can't hold on to the things that we think will provide when God is just waiting to bless us. Let's pray. God, I confess that I'm insecure. God, I confess that I want lots of people here. God, I confess that I want to be the super cool pastor. <laughs> there are all kinds of things that we cherish. Help us to cherish you above all. Help us to release the things that we love the most so that you can provide the things we need. In Christ's name, amen.